This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year the low. There are, of course, the complex Stephen reasons Bradbury for that. He finance was the minister. big spender. Right. The big spender. Doing Mr. 28.8 could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and I'm joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, yeah. G'day, Adam. How are we doing? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome back. Welcome yeah, back. No, it's good to be back in the saddle. Back in the booth, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm. Uh, look, before we get started, we, we do love getting your listener questions coming in, uh, cve at equitymates.com or hit up the website equitymates.com forward slash cve. We've got a few questions to get through later in the show. Uh, a bit of feedback too, uh, which we'll cover off later. Interesting. Uh, but Thomas, to start, we're checking in with Canberra this mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. What's up, Canberra? Uh I'm reliably informed that the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Economics woo, uh, had their public hearing with the banks this week. Mm. Thomas, what's going on? Yeah, well, no, it's a high, one of the highlights of the financial year. <laughs> oh, it's not just the financial year. <laughs> Yeah, the Christmas of financial year. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, every year the banks uh, go down to Canberra, slum it as it were, uh, meet with the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Economics mm. uh, just to talk about banks and being a bank. Yeah. <laughs> and banking. banking this is this is off to a ripping start you know we used to in radio they used to talk about hooking the listener in yeah. early really really give them something <laughs> to sink their teeth into <laughs> so well when does it get good i guess is what we're all wondering <laughs> no i mean i think i find i find this an interesting it's just an interesting one right now uh normally it's not particularly fantastic it's just banks talking about being banks, basically. And the, the, the terms of the inquiry are very broad. It's just the performance and strength of Australia's banking and financial system, how broader financial and regulatory developments are affecting that system, how the banks balance the needs of borrowers, savers, shareholders, and the wider community. I'll put a link to this in the uh, show notes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that more detail was... <laughs> Was what was being called for when myself and I think a fairly large large proportion of our listenership were going, oh, I hope this gets better. <laughs> I'm not sure that more details about the committee was what they were after. Why do we care what the committee are up to? What's going on? I have to suffer through this and you know, I want you to suffer too. Uh, well, what do they talk about? It's, it's, I mean, it's an interesting committee because it's been running for six years now and every year the banks go down and, and have, a, have a chat in front of the committee um, they find things to talk about. There's an interesting time now because it's a year on from COVID 
and much of the chat was how are we looking from from your perspective so the banks because they are you know they operate at the heart of the financial system they have the inside running on how the economy is tracking like simply from their from their customer data they can track spending now and because you know big data systems are so effective they can almost track in real time how spending trends are developing and so on so the banks have a unique ability to give give us and parliamentarians an insight into how the economy is tracking mm. so you we talked about early on in the uh in our introductory series to economics if you haven't heard it go back and listen to the first uh what was it nine episodes uh season one anyway uh go and have a look at comedian versus economist but we talked about um the list like surveys consumer surveys consumer confidence surveys that kind of thing so are we kind of saying now the banks have so much i guess so much data now they have so much kind of visibility into spending patterns and everything else is that taking the place and giving us that that data more in real time now than it ever was before at the risk of getting a bit nerdy it's it's a very interesting time to be an economist because <laughs> oh that ship has sailed thomas <laughs> that ship has sailed my friend <laughs> i think yeah. once we introduce introduced the show talking about the house of representatives standing committee on economics <laughs> we were already in nerdy territory from which we could not recover oh, so yeah. make yeah. it rain yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, back when I was a you know a young economist, you had to wait <laughs> months for you know because by the time like so the ABS is very meticulous with their data collection, so they would go and collect all the data and then they would aggregate it and someone would write it down on a piece of paper and then they'd add all the numbers up and and from collection you know you're often looking at sort of three months or more lag between. A good chunk of data and when the data actually comes out mm. now you're getting stuff in much more real time and um you know core logic's publishing a daily price index right now like house price index which yeah wow yeah which i mean i have no idea how they do that but it does actually a reasonable job of tracking abs's house price measure which comes out a full like four and a half months afterwards or something so yeah it's, it's interesting in that that sense like the you know IT power has just increased in such an extent that we can get a much quicker handle on things. And CBA has been publishing a bunch of really interesting data on the spending stuff, particularly on the income side of things and what in the way that uh, government support benefits have propped up um, household incomes. So, okay, so so the banks have this sort of wealth of wealth of information. Um, they meet, meet with the, the politicians, the mm. the the government and the government are looking for looking to the bank for for input into how the economy is tracking for how what the outlook is like is that is that what what the the meeting's about uh yeah i mean it, it depends on on the parliamentarians in in that uh committee and mm. if they've got any barrows to push often they will but right yeah i don't know how much interest. large barrows of cash <laughs> But no, I mean, what what I thought. There's a few interesting things to come out, and they, and they try to they try to you know get get their outlook for the economy from them. But like, mm. so Shane Elliott from he's a CEO of ANZ. He, I thought he 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 had a sort of interesting thing. As we sit before you today, we are facing the most positive economic conditions that we have seen in the six years this committee has been inquiring into the major banks. Wow. While many are doing it tough, including CBD businesses, Australia is emerging from one of its hardest periods quicker and stronger than many expected. Right. 
So that's not that's not radically new. That last bit we know we know we've been doing it pretty well. But that bit there. So as a, the committee is only six years old. So, so so in the six years that I've been doing this, we've never seen things as strong. Six years ago is 2015. That's not a particularly memorable time in in the economy. So we're probably going back to you know at least the pre GFC era. So it's like we're saying like these are the best economic conditions we've seen probably in a decade or so. And that's I guess that's being reflected now as well, isn't it? Is that when we see what's happening in house prices so the the housing market is booming now mm, mm, mm. um that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the best economic conditions i mean among other things no i think i think it's i think it's always good to separate house prices from the broader economy or or to think about the the idea that house prices reflect a strong economy isn't a great way to think about house prices it is true that strong economic conditions do support house prices, but by and large, house prices are driven by interest rates, and it's what's going on in with interest rates that really affects house prices. And so, in and the house price boom that we're currently seeing right now is really an interest rate story. It's not a strong economy story. Right. So even though people have got, so we're talking about the strong economy, and we've talked about on the show before, people have got large savings now, you know, through COVID and whatever, people have saved up a lot of money that they are kind of got this pent up um, buying power that's about to be unleashed. But you're saying that's not necessarily what's driving, what's contributing to the house prices. That's just general economic stuff. Uh, yeah, no, no. I mean, it's, it's contributing. It's definitely supporting house prices. Um, yeah, and it's, it's definitely a positive, but even if the economy wasn't doing well, on the back of the interest rate cuts that we've seen, house prices would still be rising. Right. Does that make sense? So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a bugbear for me because often people will conflate the two saying like, oh, house prices are booming, the economy's doing great. And it's mm. like, well, no, like it's the, that that's a sort of a... a something that happens that may or may not reflect a good economy it's not a sign of a good economy like in many ways house prices rising houses becoming more unaffordable and that's a mm. that's a problem for particular segments so there's sort of like there's there's a value laden choice about how you interpret rising house prices it's not necessarily good or bad um you know unless you own house price you know a bunch of houses and then it's great news but <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but it's, 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 we shouldn't we shouldn't conflate we shouldn't confuse the housing market with the economy in the same way we shouldn't confuse the share market with the economy. They're they're, they're different things. They can you know can be the same, but we, yeah, they're different things. But on that, the banks also saying that their outlook for property prices is thumping, like it's it's booming. I, I read something somewhere that was some, talking about twenty five percent by in the next year. Is that right? Did I read that right? Somewhere twenty five percent. I think some guy, the guys at Cooler Cooler Bar Capital, um, mm. they're ex RBA, and they took the RBA's house price model. The RBA have a have a you know computer model that that uh, predicts house prices. They took that not to be confused with a model house. <laughs> no, <laughs> far less impressive. Sorry, go on. They took their they took the house price model, yeah, and and just and crunched the numbers, put in all the settings, mm. and what they got was that house prices were going to rise twenty five percent over the next two years. I think that was the the window, but it was it was somewhere between between fourteen percent and thirty four percent, depending on assumptions about immigration and 
the jobs recovery sort of thing. Are these the same people though that that also told us at the start of COVID that houses were about to drop by 30%? Uh, that wasn't cooler bar capital, no. Right. No. But, but economists in general, I mean. Some economists did say that. <laughs> but you can't. What did you say? I'd, I'd like to go back and check. What did I say? Yeah, it doesn't, you don't, don't even remember. Don't, Look, you're just uh, dishing off nah, stats and, and predictions. Well, I mean, this is this is part of the game, right? Not not for me <laughs> so much. I mean, but I got to play in this game. But you, you got to to get quoted in a newspaper. You've got to have a you got to have a surprising number. <laughs> yeah, no one's quoting. Meh, not sure. Five <laughs> percent. Yeah, two to five, possibly six at the outside. You know, yeah. no one's going to quote you on that. So mm. there's no downside risk at it at the height of a pandemic in the middle of the biggest stock market crash in years to say house prices are going to fall 40%. It looks perfectly reasonable. It gets you a headline, gets you some brand recognition. Have a crack, why not? Can you make a bold prediction then on this show we could do with some brand recognition? Yeah. Oh, I'll come up with something. Yeah. But it's got, I mean, it's got, to, be, it's got to be reasonable, like at the time. And I think that's why right. there were some big calls. And there was a high degree of certainty. And I think the people making it, and that's also how it gets reported, hmm. you know, like I think it was NAB or CBA were talking about 35 40%. But it was like it would have been couched in the terms, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. No one really knows what's happening. Falls of 35% might be possible. That then gets reported as hmm. CBA sees house prices falling 40%. Yeah, it's like when you go into the shops and they're having a everything up to fifty percent off sale, and you walk in and you go, "How much is this?" <laughs> and they go, "That's only five percent off that one." <laughs> what's what's fifty percent off this uh, this little um, mouse figurine in the back corner here? We've got fifty percent off that. It's down from two dollars to a dollar. It's like, well, I wanted the couch. No, nah, there's only five percent off the couch. Yeah, it's a harsh reality call here on com- <laughs> comedian versus economist. <laughs> Uh, I hate I, that. That's that's my bugbear is the up to sales that people have. Stop doing it. I hate it. Mm. I hate mm. I hate advertising where you say up to. It's just your only commitment is something in the shop has to be that much off, and everything else could be not even on sale. Could be could be full retail price for everything except this tiny thing up in the back corner that's 50% off. So we've got up to 50% off. Mm. It should be outlawed. Mm. This actually came up in the. Uh Economics committee standing. <laughs> one of one of the crossbenchers was pushing it. The man, uh, West Bank CEO, was like, oh, I don't really know about that. What are you, what are you talking about? The mouse figurine? <laughs> did you say? Why are you wasting my time? This could have been an email. <laughs> Uh, very good. Yeah. So, so the banks were the, they they were asked about their house price forecasts, and pretty much all of them were saying double digits this year, thereabouts, probably double digits in the year after. You know, so twenty odd percent over the next couple of years seems to be a general mm. consensus out of the banks. Is that a bubble? That sounds a lot like a bubble rising that quick. People piling in. I mean, is it? Is the possibility it's a bubble? There's a saying in, in economics that you only know something's a bubble with the benefit of hindsight. Classic. Nailed it again, economists. <laughs> Everyone's right in hindsight. <laughs> God, 2020 hindsight. It's like, oh, yep. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, no, one, no one's really talking about a bubble right now. One, because everyone to- who's been talking about, about a bubble for the last 20 years 
I mean, back when I was at the RBA in early 2000s, uh, you know, people were talking about was the property market in a bubble then. The idea that prices were bubbly in 2003 now looks totally ridiculous. Right. Um, given how far they've come. So I think there's the Australian media and pundits are a bit more shy about calling a bubble these days because mm. everyone who has has been devastatingly wrong for a long time. But the other thing is, like, it, there's a perfectly good explanation for why house prices have, have gone double digits, and that's interest rates, what's happened to interest rates. Yeah. So typically, like, a, a speculative bubble happens when people are piling in purely on the basis that they expect house prices to keep going up and that they'll be able to sell to someone later on for more money, that there'll be a, a greater fool, as they call it, right. who'll come in and, and buy it off them. And, and so they're buying with a complete disregard for the fundamentals and they'll be able to, they'll be able to sell later on. And that's, that's sort of a speculative bubble. It's tricky, though, because, as I say, it's only in hindsight, because sometimes, you know, buying Tesla now, you're not buying on the fundamentals as they currently stand. The current, you know, income and does, doesn't justify the current share price. So there's a, a lot of like speculation about what the future is going to look like. And there have been instances in the past, like Amazon, for example, you know, that was a, well, there was a stage not long after the dot-com uh, bubble burst when people were talking about Amazon being Amazon share prices being completely disconnected from reality. And they mm. were. They're like the, the revenues didn't justify those share prices. But future the future evolved as it did evolve. And after in a few years, Amazon grew and those share prices made sense. And so it, it wasn't a bubble. Just, you know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. I think I know what you mean. So they eventually fulfilled their promise. Yeah. The uh, the, the share the share price eventually kind of reached its its potential when people were buying in and going, Well, this is it's kind of speculation, but at the same time, we believe if if they can, if Amazon in that example could reach its full potential, then it will be worth this price. And of course, Amazon went that and more. And I think the other, the, am I right in saying the other difference with the housing market at the moment is that it's not as investor driven as maybe it has been in the past. So it's a lot of sort of first home buyers and people looking to to own or occupy whatever their own house mm-hmm. um, more so now than it has been in the past yeah that's right that's right that's one of the big stories about the, the property market right now is it's yeah driven by first home buyers getting in on the home builder grants and so on mm. uh, a lot more owner occupiers investors have kind of been on the sidelines up until pretty recently they're starting to get more active now this is actually something else the banks have gave, given us an insight saying that they're seeing a lot more investor inquiries coming through but yeah yeah up until now it hasn't been investor driven um it's been mm. people just trying to get get a home so that's why that the, like that doesn't that doesn't look bubbly. Yeah, right. If, you know, if it was, you know, back in 2016, so APRA, who's the banking regulator, in 2016 introduced some restrictions on lending because they were a bit worried that things were looking a little bubbly. And at that time, you had there was a boom in investor lending, so lending to investors, and also interest-only mortgages were booming, were something like 40% of new loans. Mm. So interest-only lending to investors. And so APRA was saying, like, hey, that looks pretty speculative. If you're taking out an interest-only investor loan, you're, you're purely it's, – it's a speculative play. You're, you know, you're, you're banking yep. on some capital gain there. Um, and, so, and at that point, they introduced restrictions that sort of cooled that, that side of the market down. But that's not, that's not in play now, which is why no one's really talking about uh, APRA getting involved in the, in the property market anytime soon. 
All right. Um, did did the uh, did the banks have anything else to say at the uh, at the the committee hearing? Yeah, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that the NAB uh, CEO Ross McEwen said that he yeah he supported the first home buyer incentives, but that the, the lack of new homes was the problem, and that was what was driving house prices high. He said, uh, "We know supply is restricted, and the states need to streamline approval processes for land development and residential construction. Hmm. Without decisive moves to increase housing supply, demand side incentives will inevitably act to push up house prices further and faster." So what's he saying? There's not enough. There's not enough housing coming into the market. Yeah, that's what he's saying. We're not. We're not building enough homes, and so adding to the demand side of the equation. So like the first homeowner grants, you're adding to the demand side. You're giving people money to spend on their houses. That pushes up demand. Mm. That's great if that increase in demand induces a supply response. But if it doesn't, then and if supply just remains as it is, then prices just increase. So the same, the more demand for the same level of supply increases prices. That's economics 101. Mm. Oh, you don't have to tell me. Yeah. Where does supply come from in this instance? Like, I mean, if I want to buy, if I want to buy a house or build a house, I kind of expect, like if a house doesn't exist already, I can go and build one myself and pay to build it, I guess. Mm. So in this, in that kind of conversation, where are they expecting the supply to come from? So typically where like a new house and land package comes from a greenfield site. So it, it typically turns previously agricultural land, just some pasture with some cows on it, for example, that gets rezoned at the state level into developable land, de- developable land saying like you can, you can now build some houses on this. The local councils then get involved around that mark and sort of say, yeah, we, we can do this kind of housing here and um, yeah, these kind of this kind of density is permittable here um, mm. and that sort of thing. And then developers get in and, and build the houses and that's sort of where new supply comes from. But it relies on states and councils playing a part there and, and creating that developable land. So it's not just, it's one of the sort of paradoxes in Australia. We have lots and lots of land, but the developable land we have is actually in, in very tight supply. There isn't a lot of it. Right, because there's a big misconception about Australia, I guess. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, we've got so much room. We should, you know, we should never have a never be short on places to 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 build or live generally." Mm. Mm. But I guess you know, there's only so many places people want to live and can live. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got to you got to be close to a job and all of that. Well, you did, you in, did. in the old days. <laughs> <laughs> yep, not me. I'm off to. The outback. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's one of the one of the features of the housing market. So, so the federal federal politicians and banks and so on. So when people talk about how you know the affordability crisis, everyone says, "Yeah, house prices are too expensive for first time buyers." Uh, but no one. It's very hard to get agreement on where the blame rests. So federal politicians and the banks will push it down and say, "No, it's states and local governments. The states aren't freeing enough, freeing up enough developable land. Councils aren't pushing through high density building in the inner city, and so on. And so that absence of supply is what's pushing up prices." Local governments and the state governments, on the other hand, say, no, it's mostly about the federal, it's about the macro settings, it's the federal policy settings, it's about negative gearing, it's about interest rates that from, from the banks, it's about mortgage rates. Um, these are the factors that are influencing house prices. The truth is that they're both, both playing a factor, they're both, both relevant, but no one agent has responsibility for it. And, mm. and, no, and more importantly, no one 
even if you have a housing minister, which we've had from time to time, if they're at the federal level, they can't compel the states and the local governments to act in any, in a particular way. So you need to, you know, if, if, if people were serious about housing affordability, which I'm not sure they are, but if they were, it, it needs to somehow coordinate all, all levels of government to create more supply. Um, right. and, or, or to create more affordable housing, more supply of affordable housing. That itself and alone, even if you could agree on what housing should look like in terms of price levels and how to do it, just simply coordinating it across three levels of government, across different party political lines, very, very difficult. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, just have this news cycle on repeat every few years where people come out and cry crocodile tears over housing affordability and the fact that their children have to live under bridges and cardboard boxes, but nothing ever really happens about it. Interesting. All right. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover off from the hearing? Oh, I've got a list here, but I feel like maybe we should. <laughs> Look, I honestly didn't think we'd get through 20 odd minutes talking about the hearing. So why don't we call it? Why don't we call it even? <laughs> yeah, I think we'll save it over for the premium content. If you want the next hour of the wrap of uh, what happened at the Standing Commu- Economics Committee, I'll uh, yeah, we'll, um, pull that up. We also sell vouchers for people that you don't like if you'd like to buy it as a gift for someone that you'd like to torture. <laughs> Uh, but no, um, look, stay with us on Comedian versus Economist. Plenty more coming up after this short message. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. And through the magic of podcasting, uh, Thomas and I have actually been away, even though we've been releasing episodes for the last couple of weeks, we've been away. Uh, Thomas had a birthday, I had a birthday, it was birthdays all around. Uh, but we're back in and we're just tuning into some of the listener email that's been coming through and Thomas Samuel has emailed us and Samuel I think is in Oxford in the UK, so shout outs to uh, anyone listening overseas at the moment. Just want to say he's listening to the podcast for a few months and he loves it. Amazing. Thank you, Samuel. Uh, background on economics. He was wondering, Thomas, what is Thomas's research in? All I can tell is it's macro and he knows a lot about finance. Any chance I can get hold of some of your publications? Uh, I do like to have first crack at these questions. <laughs> uh, so let me just jump in there, Thomas, before you answer, Samuel. And I'll say... Uh, 
Not much, Samuel, I'm afraid. Very light on in the publication space. I too have gone looking. And um, look, I don't, the, the word fraud gets bandied around a lot. <laughs> uh, but nothing I've found. Thomas, your thoughts? Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Adam. That's Good crack. No, it's true. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a research economist. Uh, I'm not associated with any university or anything. I'm more of an applied economist, a real world economist. Some might say. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Just work in the space. I'm, yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not a professor. These are not sort of academic expert opinions. This is. These are the opinions of someone just who spent a bit of time working in the economics world. Mm. And his brother, the economist. <laughs> uh, all right, thank you, though, Samuel. Thanks for your thanks for your email. And if there is something in particular that you're interested in, to know more about, uh, Thomas does certainly love to uh, to research stuff and then provide information. That's for sure. So uh, send any questions. Um, as Amy has done, Amy uh, said, been seeing more and more references in the media to the pink recession. Pink recession. Uh, is it simply that more women are out of work now than ever before? I haven't heard of the pink recession, Thomas. Mm. Um, but I'm, yeah, I don't know. Is that true? Is there more women out of work now? Is that just a, is it like now is in history or now is in post-COVID? No, the pink recession, we have a colour rating scheme for recessions based on their intensity. Bit of a heat map. <laughs> No, the pink recession is a yeah is a term. It's in the in the early days of COVID, the labour market outcomes were much worse for women than they were for men. Yeah, so like significantly worse. So like by May 2020, female total employment was down eight percent. Male employment was down about five percent, something like that. I'm just eyeballing a chart here. I've got yeah. So so by May 2020, so much worse outcomes for women in the labour market, and that typically because women tend to work in more flexible working arrangements where they were, were able to sort of be stood down more quickly. I think it's sort of part of their explanation for that story. Ah, uh, so more like more casual workers, like my mm. my wife Anna, for example. She, um, you know, we we had kids, so um, you know, my daughters are. Uh, seven as of the other day actually seven and five um, and so when when um, the first one came along and I went part-time um, you know after maternity leave and stuff and it has been gradually re-entering the workforce and working more and more so so yeah I guess in that sense she was casual or part-time at best so is that mm. it was easier to stand them down is that what you're saying I think so I think I think that's the story I think there's a bit more flexibility there which is so it's interesting so while in May the outcomes were considerably worse for women. If fast forward to now, as of March 2021, female employment is now 1.2% higher than it was in March 2020, whereas male employment is just now back to where where it is, where it was in at, before COVID. So yeah, so female employment is now 1% higher than male employment. So while yeah, while there was you know, this pink recession phenomenon in the early days, it's now mm. sort of largely unwound. And uh, if anything, men are having a rougher time with the labor market right now than, than women on the face of it. And that's not to downplay the sort of the structural features of the the labor market that mean that, that women can get laid off more quickly. But that, that feature also means they get brought back on more quickly as well. Yeah, right. Cool. All right. Uh, one from Sean here said, I uh, love the show. Adam, I'm somewhat disappointed you missed the opportunity to take the piss with the aqueduct reference last episode. I think he was referring to 
the episode we did on the Suez Canal, and we did talk about the. Oh, I wish I could remember the reference now. Um, the aqueduct. Uh, I don't know if it walks like an aqueduct, talks like an aqueduct. <laughs> probably an aqueduct. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what, uh, what opportunity I missed. I'm sorry, Sean. I think it's, it's uh, like what, water off an aqueduct's back. <laughs> What are your qualifications as a comedian, he asked. Well, geez. Oh, fraud. Total <laughs> well, <yeah>. fraud. <laughs> I'm less qualified than Thomas. As, uh, very good. Um, uh, and finally, we got an email here from Ian Jakes, who included the pronunciation of his last name, so I presume he wanted that read out. Uh, spelling error in your latest podcast Spotify notes. Ah, oh, no, end of the world. Uh, he said, that's okay. Thank you for the pickup on the next podcast. We'll be fine. Well, there you go, Ian. Thank you for picking us up on that one. We will be sure to get it rectified ASAP. Uh, but for now, that's it for Comedian versus Economist for another week. Don't forget, you can send us your email, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. Tons of other podcasts to get your ears around on Equity Mates Media. Get started investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, Meet Pay Love, You're in Good Company, and you've been on Comedian versus Economist. We'll see you again next time. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.